an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, thanks, Jared. So we are in Proverbs. The series is Get Wisdom. This is the fourth of four weeks, Getting Wisdom. And if you would open your Bibles to Proverbs 31, we're just going to camp there uh, today. So we've looked at Trey three weeks ago, two weeks ago, Trey talked about the instruction of wisdom. Last week, Zach talked about the correction of wisdom, and today we talk about the implementation of wisdom, and we're going to look at it through the lens of this Proverbs 31 godly woman. And I want to give you some context. Uh, The verses right before what we look at today, the first nine verses of Proverbs 31, are a mother instructing her son. The son's name is Lemuel. Uh, And she's instructing him because he's going to be a person of nobility. He's going to be a leader. He's going to be a person who has power and status. And she wants to give him some wise instruction on how to handle being a person like that, a person in a position where people are going to be looking up uh, to them. Uh, Whether it's a man or a woman, this, this applies. And she makes three major points here. Two of them are things that he should not do, and one of them is something that he should most certainly do. Uh, The first one, she says, is do not allow yourself to become obsessed with sex and romance, or if you prefer, romance and sex, however you want to list it. But don't become obsessed with it. 
We live in a culture that is obsessed with sex and romance and relationships, and and it has become a false god. Well, they had the same problem 3,000 years ago, that people would become obsessed with these things, and people in power and in influence, people who should be leading and serving others, can get all wrapped up in that and and make huge mistakes and follow the path of folly um, and, and, and end up losing their position of influence and status. So she says, make sure you do not make a false god out of romance and sex. The second thing she says is don't let any substances influence the clarity of your thinking and the clarity of your leadership. And she uses specifically alcohol in this case, but this would be true of any substance that might alter our ability to, to make wise and discerning decisions. She says, again, uh, if, if your idol, if your false god is, is to go out and, and, and get drunk or get high, uh, whatever that is, uh, your decision making is going to be all messed up and you're going to follow the path of foolishness in the midst of that and that will be a problem. And then the third exhortation she has for him is this. It's the positive exhortation. She says, as a person who is going to lead others, you need to serve others in humility. You need to embrace humility and be willing to submit yourself to the needs of others. In the midst of that, it's, here you go. The book of Philippians hadn't been written yet. Paul's going to write it maybe another thousand years uh, later. But essentially what she's telling him is this, what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So she says you need to make sure that you're going to put other people's needs above yours when you are leading them. Very important. And then the, these nine verses then set up contextually this passage for today that Jared read for us, uh, uh, 31, 10 through 31, the godly woman. And the first thing we need to understand about the last 22 verses of the book of Proverbs is that they are not just about and for women. They are also about, in many ways, and for, in many ways, men. Instructional for men. Now remember, wisdom is always personified in the Bible as a woman. As such, the book of Proverbs is said to be encapsulated in these last 22 verses. It's the perfect summary ending to the book. You see, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 is not an epilogue or an addendum, uh, somehow an extra thought that is to be seen as separate from the rest of the book. Rather, it is an exemplar and an embodiment of, the book of, Pro- of, of what the book of Proverbs has compiled. Last week when Zach was preaching and towards the end he put up that comparison between uh, Proverbs 9, 1 through 6 and Proverbs uh, 9, 13 through 18 and he said wisdom is throwing a party and folly is throwing a party and you need to choose the party of wisdom. As I was looking at those six verses about the party that wisdom was throwing, I was thinking yes, 31, 10 through 31 is sort of a, an expansion, a more comprehensive look at all of those things that Lady Wisdom has to offer us. And it's not that any woman or man will perfectly achieve and live up to all of these characteristics and qualities that are described in this passage, but rather it is what by the power of the Holy Spirit residing in us, we should all aspire to. You can look at it this way. We've said uh, for years at Redemption Arcadia, 
we have said that um, every man at Redemption Arcadia should aspire to the qualities and characteristics listed in the New Testament to become an elder of the church, but not every man will be an elder in the church. Nevertheless, you should aspire to those qualities and those characteristics. So the point of Proverbs 31 is never to condemn the woman who doesn't live up to these qualities, but it is rather to celebrate the truth and importance of God's wisdom and, and to have a healthy fear of the Lord in our lives. Furthermore, the, uh, the point of Proverbs 31 is not, I emphasize, is not that a woman should or must be married. The Proverbs 31 woman happens to be married, but it is not the only path in life towards joy and wisdom. Also notice that the Proverbs 31 woman is not someone who is just doing things, but is someone who thinks ahead, who prays, and who discerns the reality of how hard this world really is. And so she ponders uh, not just her public life, but also her private life. And she is wisdom personified. And then finally, think about this, and this is helpful and practical. In the context of marriage, if a wife and a mother tends to what she should do and what she is called to do, it allows the husband and the father to tend to what he should do and is called to do. And if a husband tends to what he should do and is called to do, then a wife can tend to what she should do and is called to do. It's called reciprocation and complementarianism. We're complementary partners and we reciprocate to each other. Remember that Proverbs starts with several chapters of Solomon specifically instructing his son that he should embrace the wisdom of God, that he should live a life of integrity towards women, and specifically, should he marry, he must love and serve his wife. Proverbs then ends with a picture of the type of woman that any man who desires to be married should pursue. It is a woman who fears the Lord first, foremost, and supremely. In fact, verse 30 is the key. The crowning verse of Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A couple other things to point out before Stacy Barrett joins me for what would be an, a, really an extended all of life interview that looks into this passage. First of all, I want you to see how this passage starts and finishes. It's called inclusio. It starts with some verses that actually parallel and sort of match up with the verses that it ends with. Look at 10 through 12. An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain, for she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And then look at 28 through 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in uh, the gates. There's this, this bookending that goes on there and, and, and points us to the fact that the character and the fear of the Lord is the center of this person that is being described in Proverbs 31. And then second, notice that while activity is important, laziness is not godly, but the focus and emphasis of these uh, 22 verses is on character. So just watch this. The Proverbs 31 woman, and this is going to be a lot of stuff very quickly. You can take a picture of this slide at the end if you want to uh, not take notes on it. But look at this. The Proverbs 31, uh, 31 woman is trustworthy. Verse 11. She looks out 
not only for her own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's verse 12 and Philippians 2, 4. She is not afraid of hard work. That's verses 13 through 15. She is fiscally savvy and embraces prudence. Verses 16 through 18. She's generous with the profits of her endeavors. Verses 19 and 20. Uh, Verses 21 and 22 kind of blows my mind. The godly woman is not simply concerned with practicality and functionality, but she's also concerned with dignity. She is not afraid of snow is actually uh, speaking to the, the fact that she's concerned about dignity. It means that she has diligently laid up reserves for those days while, when earning cannot be done so that she and her family can be cared for and still live in a dignified way. She is not threatened by her husband's role vis-a-vis her role. That's verse 23. And by the way, he is not threatened by her. I will tell you, uh, it is sad to me the number of spouses who are threatened by their spouse. Uh, you, you shouldn't be threatened. You should be encouraging and exalting each other. Just a little personal jump in there. Verses 24 and 27, she refuses the pleasures of idleness. Verses 25 and 26, she is a person of faith and wisdom and uses that faith and wisdom to guide all that she does. And she understands that temporal or temporary virtues, such as physical beauty and charm, are not as value as godly virtues that are rooted in knowing and submitting to God. That's verses 28 through 30. And finally, verse 31, she does not feel the need to extol her virtues. She's not a braggart. Her character, she allows just her character and her life to speak for itself. She doesn't need to get on social media and tell everybody how virtuous she is. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, who was the prime minister of England in a time when most of you were not born yet, but I remember her. In 1981, she was giving a speech on leadership, and she said this in her speech on leadership. If a lady has to tell people she is a lady, she is no lady. Now, if you don't understand what that quote means, come and see me after the service, and I'd be happy to explain it to you. Having said all of that, I want to ask Stacy Barrett to come up and speak a little bit more into this Proverbs 31 passage. So please welcome Stacy. Hi. Hi. Hello again. There, hello again, yeah. So the dress rehearsal in 730 went well. Yeah, it was easier with less people. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll okay. tell you that right now. <laughs> so um, I want you to take a minute to just tell us who you are, tell us about your family, what you do, how long you've been at Redemption, all that good stuff. Yep, perfect. Okay, my name's sorry. My name's Stacy. Um, I'm a wife to Tim. He'll be here at the next service. I think I don't think he's here. Um, I have four kids. My oldest was reading. Um, we have a budget coach. She said we spend the most money on groceries of anyone she's ever met. So if that tells you <laughs> a little bit when you see my Sunny East lot, but they all do. So I have three boys, one girl, so 18 to 11. I don't know how I got there. How do I have an 18-year-old? It's crazy. Um, we've been coming to church here for like four or five years, and we love it. A lot of our friends are here, too. It's good. Yeah. And what do you do for a living? You, you're, you're not just a mother and a housekeeper. You, you have a business, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm what you would call a work-at-home mom. So I have, like, I'm a health and business coach. So I have coaches and clients kind of all over the country. A few of them are here today. And, um, yeah, I love it. I about, I guess it was six years ago, my husband and I went on a health journey. I lost um, over 50 pounds. And I think the journey of, like, habits uh, has really helped me kind of flourish in a lot of areas of my life and help my family flourish, too. Awesome. Okay, so 
Here's the first question. We're going to get right into it. Uh, for many women, I found that this passage can actually be quite discouraging. And my guess is that um, most, if not all, women here are looking at this passage and saying, wow, there's no way. Yeah. I can't do all of that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, when Frank said, like, do you want to do this? I, of course I say yes, and then I, like, figure it out later. But then I was like, oh, man, this is, like, kind of a heavy passage to talk about because you don't want anyone to feel bad. Like, I never want anyone to feel bad. Um, but I think it's important because it's, like, in the Bible and all that. But I think we struggle because we worry about falling short. And I just think... Um, the thing to look here is like it's a long-range view. It's not like a list that you're going to accomplish all today. When I graduated college, I remember thinking, I'm never going to remember to get my oil changed. I'm never going to remember to like get my teeth cleaned. Like we should end it right now because I'm never going to be able to adult. Laundry. Laundry. Yeah. Like yeah. Totally. All of these things. Like I have a son who's about to go away to college, and I know I can see it. Like it's it's a hard thing to figure out how to adult. And so I feel like with this passage. Um, it's like over time, you head in a direction, you have a vision for your life, and you grow. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I would say, uh, John Piper, um, when I was preparing for this, he, um, he has like a people write in, kind of like a Dear Abby. He has got a little podcast. Little pod. Anyways. And this woman wrote in, and she was disabled. And so she said, uh, Pastor John, what am I supposed to do? How can I live up to this? These women at my church are homeschooling. They're baking bread. They're you know, homesteading chickens. I can't possibly do all of this. And I loved what he said. Um, He said, God does not judge our form of faithfulness by the form of someone else's faithfulness. Like, God's not going to compare me to Ann Wheeler and say, well, you didn't do it. You fell short. Like, thank goodness. Um, He's going to say, like, did you take the talents that you've been given and did you multiply them in faithfulness? So it's like faithfulness, not production. Um, and then I think also it's like an encouragement, not, not a condemnation. And we're held to different standards by the stages of our lives. Like I have an 11-year-old daughter. She has a sweet heart for the Lord. But he's not going to compare my outputs with her outputs. It would be totally inappropriate. So I think that just remembering like time plus consistency and the grace of God, it gives us the growth over time that we need, and we just can't compare. It's like our hearts that the Lord's looking at. Yeah, that, that season of life and, and situational context of life is a, is a big part of this. Um, mm-hmm. Virtually every person could say, the season of life I'm in, I can't do all of this. But it, it would be different things at different seasons. You have a 23-year-old single person. You have a 45-year-old married person with you know, three or four kids. You have an 80-year-old person who is not teeing off on 18, but is putting on the 18th green. Yeah. And, and it's going to be different. It's going to look different for each of us. And so we have to uh, be willing to accept our limitations in the midst of what we aspire to. I think that's helpful. To yeah, know. when I had four kids under eight, yeah, I could no not way. do what I do now. Yeah, there's no way. Mm. You know, somebody with a couple of babies. I mean, uh, you know, the Steels just had their third baby. I think they've had three babies in four years. Um, Carrie's somewhat limited in what she's going to be able to do in the midst of I that. never even put on shoes. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. All right, second question. Um, every now and then when we get together, you bring up what you call the three C's, and they are um, uh, capacity. What's the first one? Comparison. Comparison, capacity, and uh, companionship. So just talk about that. 
And Frank's the one who made that little C alliteration thing too. Like, I love. He kept saying these C words, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah. Okay. Well, Southern Baptist coming out alliteration. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so comparison. Um, Okay, so this applies to both men and women, this comparison thing. Like I heard once um, we went to church at Living Streams a long time ago, and there was a couple that did like uh, Hebrew word pictures. They said men are like ladders, women are circles. And so the men are like, where am I on the ladder? Where's he at? Where's he at? Is he above me, below me? Women are, you know, circles. They want to be in or out. So we, we're, we can compare whether you're men or women, right? And so I think um, this passage is a celebration, not a condemnation. But I think some people don't, like, blink at this. No, actually don't do anything. Um, some people have a harder, harder time celebrating others, right? Because if, if they're winning, maybe I'm losing. If they have something that's going well, maybe it means that I have a lack. And so it, that's kind of a tragedy. So this woman, she, like, held the balance between home and work. And I think women, we can pit ourselves against each other. If you're a home person, you're a work person, and are we doing it right? We're all worried we're not doing it right. But when I look at her, I think she had her value set. And then it was from that place that she operated. And so um, for me, in the morning, and I wake up and I have a devotion. And then I sit down and I kind of like, before I look at my day, I chart out what is like the most important things here. And that can help me get clarity on what the values are that I'm going to live by that day. And then the other idea with comparison is this idea of a worthy rival. Have you read um, Simon Sinek's Infinite Game? A worthy rival is another player in the game that's worthy of comparison. They reveal our weaknesses that are opportunities to improve ourselves. And I think if we look at her as a worthy rival, like we can stand in that place and say, okay, this is kind of the goal. These are the things I want to aspire to. Then that takes on a whole different feel. Like I remember looking at this at some point. I was at a luncheon and thinking, my family has no ministry to the poor. And I began to pray about that, and the Lord would open doors. But I'm not going to compare my ministry to the poor, to the Mason's ministry to the poor, or, you know, your ministry to the poor. Everyone has their own way that they're called to walk out faithfulness. Um, and then the thing I would say about comparison is, uh, you know, worthy rival is like aspiring to be better, but then also we could compare ourselves to someone behind us, and that would be kind of gross, and that wouldn't really help us either. It might make us feel better. So it's like, how do we set a high bar uh, of comparison? And then the next thing I would say for capacity is that, um, you know, people can say, I'm high capacity, I'm low capacity, but do you believe that capacity grows? Like your capacity with the right habits, the right input, consistency over time, you just simply can do more. It's like you know, muscles, if you go to the gym, you know, you lift heavy things, you can lift heavier things over time. And so I think we have to look at like our habits because our habits, um, our thought habits and our daily habits, uh, that can help our capacity grow. So when I think about habits and rhythms, it's like daily, weekly, monthly, annual habits over time that help you grow. Um, When I had no kids, I thought I am so busy, don't have time for anything else. When I had one kid, two kids, three kids, now all of a sudden I accidentally had four kids. And it's like I, my capacity grew. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's a big deal. Like daily, like I have you know, a morning routine and I have stacked different habits you know, of devotion and taking my vitamins and doing some sit-ups. You know? And then weekly, we go to Bible study and we have a you know, weekly small group that we're a part of and that over time has really helped. You know, monthly, 
you know, we circle our kids community, we have FCA, and annually, um, you know, we do like a service project, things annually. So I just think like these rhythms over time will increase your capacity. And then as far as companion, I would say, um, like if I look at my sons, and I think, what are you gonna look for in a wife? Cause it's kind of what this passage is, right? Yeah. And I would tell them strong arms. Because you are going to be carrying something in your life. Let's hope it's not your wife. It may be sometimes that you are. But if you have a wife that's a companion that can carry a load alongside of you, you're going to be able to accomplish a lot more. And for young women, I would say, look for humility. And you know humility if they have a mentor. That's like one kind of a litmus test if you have mentors. That's great. So going back to your first point um, in talking about our, our trouble to celebrate other people, uh, it reminds me of a couple things, actually. Uh, first of all, um, our founding pastor, Tom Schrader, used to say of Paul writing in Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He said, I don't know if this is right or not, but it seems like maybe Paul put rejoice with those who rejoice first because it's much harder to rejoice with those who mm. rejoice. It's easier to weep with those who weep. Mm-hmm. We struggle to celebrate other people's mm-hmm. accomplishments, um, which is too bad. Um, and, it, and it also reminds me, I'm about to quote from uh, Brene Brown, which I know some of you write me an email on that. But at any rate, um, I, I found it helpful that, that she makes the point that uh, our greatest insecurities and fears come from uh, when we think we're going to have insufficiency in our life, mm, that we don't have enough. Yeah. That's our greatest fear and insecurity yeah. in life. And, and so that also makes it hard to celebrate uh, others. So number three, uh, how do you build your house without tearing it down? Yes. Because there's a tension there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And I think like knowing where you want to go is always helpful, like where, where you headed. But that Proverbs 14, one of the Amplified Virgin says this, the wise woman builds her house on a foundation of godly precepts and her household thrives. But the foolish one who lacks spiritual insight tears it down with her own hands by ignoring godly principles. And so um, when I think about my house, I think about my marriage as like the foundation of my house. So if I were to undermine my husband or talk bad about him or talk bad to him, that's going to literally undermine the foundation of my house. And so I think like in my heart, and I don't do this perfectly and forgive me if I have, if you've seen me do this wrong, but I really have tried to speak well of my husband. It's easy because he's really great and he's really cute. He's not here, so I, can, I can't say that at the next service, so I can say that here. But he is just a really good man. But I want him to know how much I respect him and love him. When I was younger, I used to kind of think he was a little bit more self-promoting. I was in that commercial real estate world, and I was kind of puffed up. And um, I was like, gosh, why won't this guy sell? Like his friend Andrew works than me. He said, it's not that he's bad at selling. He just simply will not do it. And um, now, like with the benefit of time, I'm just so thankful for that. Um, and so we, you know, speak well of our spouse. We can, you know, um, if we're married, right? Uh, and the same thing is our words to our kids, right? Like, um, and Boss Camp said, the way we speak to our kids becomes their inner voice, and that thought can literally keep me up at night. Um, but if we build our life, we build our homes, right? We can, we can build them up or tear them down by our habits or our lack thereof. Like, you know, the house in like the rainforest, you stop chopping down the vines. And pretty soon, those vines literally overtake the entire house. It like, doesn't exist anymore. So I think it's like keeping things in order, like constantly trying to stem the chaos and create order. Um, we don't drift towards holiness. Um, but I think 
it could be a habit to start or one to stop. And I remember I was at my small group and um, I, I was struggling with anger. And maybe it was the four kids thing, maybe it was overwhelm, I don't know, but I really struggle with anger. I would yell at my kids, I would drag them around, you know, at times by their arm. Anyways, my husband said, this is out of control, you have got to stop. And, I, and he said, if you don't stop, we're gonna go talk to our pastor and go talk to Billy, you have to like confess this to him. And I thought, well, that's humiliating, I can't do that. So I was talking to Franny and Franny just said, like Bob Newhart, she just said, stop it. She said, stop it. I used to deal with that too, but if you don't do this, it's going to ruin your family. And so I feel like for me, that anger thing was something I literally had to stop. And God's so gracious. Like, I don't know that my kids, I asked my son, Jared, when we were at a doctor's office, I said, do you remember that? Do you remember when I was the yelling mom? And he said he didn't. And I just think um, when you look at your life, there's habits to start, habits to stop. So if there's a habit that you need to stop, that is tearing down your house. Just, I would say, ask God for the grace, maybe confess somebody, because if you play that out into the future, you know, what, what could happen if you don't stop? That's, that's really powerful. Thanks for sharing that with us. Last question, um, where do you see the cross and Christ in this passage? You asked me that at coffee, and um, I couldn't help but get choked up because um, if the essence of the gospel is transformation, like in the chosen, you know, she said I was in one way and now I'm another and in between there was Jesus. When I look at the Bible, I would not say I'm Proverbs 31, I would say I'm in Luke 7. And Luke 7 is when Jesus is at the Pharisee's house and he's eating a meal. And um, this woman comes, we, we're, she's called the sinful woman. And she is anointing his feet with costly perfume. She's pouring out everything. She is wiping his feet with her hair, you know, her tears. And the Pharisee says in his his heart, he doesn't say it out loud, what's going on here? Does Jesus even know who this woman is? And so then Jesus tells a parable. And he said, uh, there's two men and they owe a lot of money. One owes a little, one owes a lot. And, And they're both forgiven. Who's going to love that man more? And the Pharisee says, well, of course, it's the one that was forgiven more. And he's telling the parable because they both owed a lot, but only one knew that she owed, right? And so I would say for me, I am so in touch with the forgiveness of Jesus because I was not always a Christian. You know, I was um, raised in a home. You know, we were Catholic, but I, I didn't know the Lord. And I would say my life went off track very early. I don't I kept my parents up at night, every night, because I was, um, my life just went off track very early, you know, in every way that you can imagine, you know, alcohol, drugs, the things um, that you would all hope that your kids wouldn't do. And so I, um, I was broken, and I was sad, and I carried that with me into college. And you talked at the beginning of this about um, having you know, an issue with alcohol. I mean, that was me. Um, I remember my RA asking me once, Stacy, when is the last, when's the last time that you didn't drink till you blacked out? And I couldn't remember. And so um, over time, it's like the consequences of those decisions pile up and they pile up and they pile up. And I felt just this overwhelming, like I could not even hardly get out of bed in the morning. It was so overwhelming. 
my friend Heather, who's here today, rededicated her life to the Lord, and she would share the gospel with me on the phone and tell me about Jesus. I had a friend at this same time. Um, she overdosed on heroin, and she died. And I remember sitting at her funeral living stream. She were there, too, Kev. And I looked around at all of these people, and we were all still so broken. We're all still in the depth of sin and the depth of drugs and all these things. And I remember praying, like, Lord, let this, like, don't let this be for nothing. And the pastor's wife, Christina Buckley, she came and she prayed with me after. And then, you know, two months later, I go to Tahoe and I am um, there with Heather. And she's got this, like, group of believers, these, you know, young people who serve the Lord. And it was, like, revolutionary to me because I, I didn't even know that existed. I didn't even know that was an option, that like, Christian community was a thing. And so I accepted the Lord at a little Baptist church. I raised my hand um, about, you know, every time the pastor gave the message, come forward or raise your hand. I was like, oh, me, Amy, I definitely need Jesus. Because I also didn't know it was like a one-time thing. You know, I just thought like, <laughs> I was like, I just want to make sure it took. And so, <laughs> and so I, we went away, you know, we came back and literally I came back to a keg party at my house. I was like, this is going to be wild. How am I going to live for Christ without a single person in this whole town that I know that's a believer? And that pastor's wife, she hooked me up with the gal who's actually in my wedding. Her name was Christy. And she met with me every week. And I, the, God was showing me so much. Like I would pray and I would read the Bible every night and I would just like pray like um, a magic eight ball, like, Lord, do you want me to still bartend? And I would open my Bible and I like literally open the passage to Isaiah. You guys, God's so wild. Woe to those who make strong drink that justify the wicked to re for reward. And I thought, well, I guess I have to get a different job. <laughs> so I just moved in faithfulness um, and I feel like the Lord's been so gracious. And the thing that when I look at this, like how am I even here? It's the gospel. Yeah. Like my husband was raised in a Christian home. He accepted Christ as a kid. He had his first drink at 21 at a restaurant with me on his birthday. How could I be fit to be his wife? Like, how could I have these kids? Like, how could I have any of this? And I would say, it's just Jesus. And that's, I think, the hope that I pray that everybody hears is like, we could be one way and then we could be another. And in the middle, there's Jesus. Oh, that's so powerful. Thanks for sharing that with us. And thank you for your willingness to come and do this. And, and I know it takes time away, um, but I appreciate you sharing. And you have insights that there's no way that any of us on staff could have been able to, to bring out, even if we were trying to tell your story. It's better to hear it from you. So thanks for doing this. Let me pray. Uh, and then we'll start our time of reflection and response. Um, Lord God, again, um, we're so thankful for who you are and for your son Jesus and what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us even today and how you instruct us through your word. But God, especially because of your grace, Stacy said, um, uh, I fail at all these things. And, and I just want to say, yeah, and I think that's the point. That's why Jesus came, because we do fail, but, but your son lifts us up and makes us righteous by his grace and his love and his power, and we're so thankful for that. I pray for Tim and Stacy and for their whole family. I pray that you would, consider to, uh, you would continue to uh, grant them your wisdom and your favor. Uh, God, that you would continue to build them up, give them insight. 
And God, for the rest of our community, I just pray that you would continue to walk with us and instruct us and that we would be humble enough to watch for how you're working in our lives and then submit ourselves to that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Stacy. Again, would you thank Stacy?